This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company. For more information and links to all our great podcasts, visit HartmanMedia.com. Welcome to the Solomon Success Show, where we explore the timeless wisdom of King Solomon and the Bible as it relates to business and investing. False prophets and get-rich-quick schemes are everywhere. Let's not be distracted by these. Instead, let's go to The Source, the eternal principles that create a life of peace, power, and prosperity. Here's our host, Jason Hartman. Hi there, it's Jason Hartman, your host, and thank you for joining me for another episode of The Solomon Success Show with biblical wisdom for business and investing. Let's go to today's lesson, and then I'll come back on and we'll have our main portion with our guest relating to that lesson. Retirement is a part of what many consider to be the American dream. The notion of enjoying years of leisure in your later life after a full career of work and effort are very appealing. Unfortunately, the financial crisis of 2008 and its resulting aftermath has made this dream into an illusion. Despite an official end to the recession in 2009, employment levels have not returned to their prior levels and many people are still struggling to find work that fully utilizes their skills and abilities. When combined with the fact that retirement has shifted from defined benefit pensions to defined contribution accounts, many people are quickly approaching what were supposed to be their golden years with a dramatically underfunded capital base. The simple truth is that the current financial world has become extremely complex and the overwhelming majority of people are not prepared to deal with that complexity in their financial lives. In decades past, companies would provide pensions to their retired workers. Two things have permanently fractured this tradition. The first is that the cost of paying benefits to retired workers has skyrocketed. With people living longer and healthcare becoming more expensive, the cost of footing the bill for retirement benefits has become too expensive for many companies to carry. The second factor is that many of those pension-paying companies of decades past are going out of business. The one thing that is worse than an insufficient payment into a 401k account is years of pension promises that suddenly evaporate into thin air. Combine all of this with the fact that many of life's necessities are increasing in price much faster than the reported inflation statistics would lead us to believe. The reason for this is because inflation impacts different parts of the consumer basket of goods differently. For basic commodities with significant hard costs such as food or energy, inflation typically lands quickly and forcefully. Note that food and energy are explicitly excluded from reported inflation numbers. For products that benefit from technology such as computers and smartphones, the long-term trend is deflationary, with the ratio of available quality per unit of price increasing at an exponential rate. The hitch is that the things which benefit from technology are almost exclusively discretionary in value. This means that inflation structurally disadvantages people at lower income levels, while people with greater financial resources can reap the benefits of that technological improvement. In the 13th chapter of Proverbs, King Solomon writes, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. What King Solomon is teaching us through this passage is the importance of thinking ahead and saving for posterity. The legacy that we leave to the future generations of our families will be directly impacted by the decisions that we make today. Creating a prosperous future will not happen without deliberate effort. Each of us must be willing to invest the necessary effort to produce the results that we desire. To teach us more about what we are facing in the retirement reboot, Jason has interviewed Dennis Miller about his experiences and research on retirees and investment. 
Dennis has tapped into the real fear faced by many retirees. It is only by understanding and facing this fear that we can eventually overcome it. That was today's lesson. Let's get to our guest. But before we do that, please, regardless of what platform you're listening to us on, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or SoundCloud, please go write us a review. We'd really appreciate that. And check out the free resources at our website, solomonsuccess.com. Here's today's main segment. It's my pleasure to welcome Dennis Miller to the show. No, he's not Dennis Miller, the comedian or political consultant, but it's Dennis Miller, who is a new Casey research author. Of course, we've had Doug Casey and some of his people on the show before, and he is the author of Retirement Reboot. And today, let's talk a little bit about this stuff. Dennis lives in two places, both in Florida and in Illinois, but he happens to be right near me in Scottsdale, Arizona today. Dennis, welcome. How are you? I'm just fine, and thank you for inviting me on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. In your book, Retirement Reboot, it's your personal story of how you realize your retirement without being threatened by the low interest rate environment. And, and you know, let me just make a comment on that. Most people love low interest rates, except retirees or, or people living off savings, because there's just, you can't get a yield out of, out of the, the savings that you've created throughout your life. But of course, if you want to buy properties or finance things or use financing to grow your business, it's a good thing, but it's really a double-edged sword for a large part of the population. But how did you work your retirement based on what's going on nowadays? Well, I'm, I was the typical Benjamin Graham passive investor. Fundamental analysis. First, yeah. yeah, I got my first social security check 10 years ago. And for the first several years of my retirement, the old formula, 100 minus your age. So you take 100 minus 65 and 65% of your income, your uh, nest egg rather, would be put into fixed instruments. The other 35% you use to protect yourself against inflation. And basically we did that. We had nice CD ladders and not very hard after a CD matures to go out and buy another one five years out and living off the interest and never touching the principal. Well, that all works until something you're very familiar with, the real estate market change. And all of a sudden, they're bailing out the banks with the first TARP bill. And literally, I woke up one morning and opened my computer and had more cash in my cash account than I could have ever imagined. And it's almost like, honey, did we win the lottery and you didn't tell me? So I go into the uh, history and find out that the uh, the banks didn't take that money to put it in the economy. They took the money and basically paid off their debt. And I had just all kinds of CDs all called in within a two or three day period. So picture having at that point in my life, probably better than 70% of my retirement money and six and 7% CDs all getting called in and the best I could get was maybe 2%. So, so, you know, it's like every time a CD got called in, well, we just lost another $400 a month. We just lost another $200 a month and I couldn't replace the income. So I had to do a 180 as Benjamin Graham talked about going from passive investor to full throttle active investor. Uh, Either that or I'm going to have to radically change my lifestyle. So I called up some mentors, uh, the late Glenn Kirsch of Asset Strategies and a few other people. And the first thing I said to them is, government's printing money hand over fist. Isn't that what causes inflation? 
I'm not sure I want to go in and, into anything that's a long-term treasury or something like that. And they all said, yeah, you understand it. And therefore, you're going to have to put your money in different places in order to survive. So over the next three years, with a lot of help, I became a full throttle active investor. Uh, have money, you know, outside the country, seven different foreign currencies, and all kinds of things. And as part of the process, I started getting a lot of the investment newsletters. Casey being one of them. Some of the other ones, the Agora Group, and several of them, because I needed to get educated. I started writing these people saying, "You're not, you're not relating to seniors. You're not relating to savers." And I don't know if you know David Deland, the managing editor from the Casey Group, got to the point where, you know, we became pen pals because he's asking, answering all my questions. And then one day he finally writes and says, you're 100% right. We're really not relating to the problems of your peer group. Why don't you take it as an assignment? Yeah, you know, interestingly, that that's also so true on a governmental level because they're inflating away the value of the currency and at the same time, the interest rates are so low, those don't necessarily go together. I mean, in the Carter era, at least because of Volcker, who broke the back of inflation, you had higher interest rates. Now, granted, it could be argued that the real rate of inflation was higher than the interest rates, but that's usually the case. So ultimately, people are always moving backwards. But the government and the central bank is definitely not relating to savers either. I mean, this is what upsets me so much, Dennis, is that people who have done the seemingly right thing all their life, they've delayed gratification, they've saved money, they put away money for a rainy day, they didn't spend it all, they were responsible, and yet they're getting burned by the system. They're getting more than they're getting more than burned. Oh yeah, well, you know, let me let me get, let me just reinforce what what you said by some things since I've joined the Casey group because they've asked me to help out with that person that you just described. The first thing I did was I went back and checked now with the CD rates. When my CDs were called in, my interest income was five times my Social Security check. If I was fool enough to have CDs today in the current rate, my interest income would be half of my Social Security check. So that's how much the, the Federal Reserve and the government has taken the money out of the hands of the seniors and savers who played by the rules. The other side of the squeeze is we got a Social Security uh, increase this year that was uh, under 2%, but our Medicare actually went up three times that amount. We did a survey of our subscribers and said, okay, we all agree that inflation is not what the government's telling us. What do you think it is? And it was incredible what happened. We had 3,000 responses, and we gave them one question, what do you think it is, and then any comments at the end. Well, the composite number was a hair over 8%. And I asked the uh, people who helped us with the survey, can you send me an email if there were any comments? I had 96 pages of subscriber comments. Wow. <laughs> 96 pages. And, and what was the and upside of those comments? The upside of the comments is we're seeing it in everything. Uh, we're seeing it in the downsize. In other words, you can go buy a can of tuna fish, but it went from six ounces to five ounces, but it's the same price. And then some of them were pointing out astronomical increases that they are seeing in the stuff that they need to live with so that the, you have this entire generation 
is getting squeezed on the income side and the inflation is squeezing them on the spending side. And they're, they're trying to scramble and figure out what to do. And that's what we've been doing since the first tuck bill. Yeah. Okay. Talk just a little bit more about some of the solutions to this. What can people do? Well, the first thing is, I read an article recently. I'm a believer that we're all money managers now. Unless you got a pension from a branch of the government, most of us retired, had a 401k, you know, some sort of an IRA. And regardless of how you played by the rules and you earned your nest egg, now it's our job to make sure it lasts for the rest of our life. The uh, Employee Benefit Research Institute just came out with their latest report and said, unless you work for the government, 3% of the people that are working now in the, in the private sector have some sort of defined benefit plan. So that everybody who hasn't worked for the government gets their gold watch, gets their lump of cash, and they're having to make that life savings last for the rest of the generation. The first thing they got to do is wake up. Our money will not manage itself. I got an email from a 72-year-old subscriber a couple of days ago, and she said she was really having trouble with a stockbroker. What fund or something could she put it in so she didn't have to worry about it? And my answer to her is, I don't know of any set it and forget it investments today. They don't exist. So rule number one is you better take charge and start to get some education. Then we can start talking about investments and diversification and yield and dividends and appreciation. But I'm seeing one of the biggest problems is people are going to have to wake up. No question about it. And it's been a rude awakening. And as as terrible as it sounds, I think it's going to get a lot ruder in some cases. Well, one thing you would appreciate with your real estate background is my wife inherited part of a family farm that has been in the family now for 100 years nobody in the family is thinking about selling it. That's one big, big hedge against inflation that is, in effect, also providing some income. That is one uh, one of the things that we've been very, very fortunate with. Because if you're concerned about inflation, buying the right kind of real estate and farmland is one of the first places to look along with precious metals. And I think the farmland is more interesting than precious metals conceptually because at least... With a piece of property, you've got leverage, you've got tax benefits, and you've got the commodity value of farming. Of course, food has universal need, but there's management and there's, there are risks with crops and so forth. But, you know, let me ask you about the metals for a moment. That's what's commonly thought of is is the best inflation hedge, Dennis. And I, I have a little, most people think my view on this is a little bit odd. And maybe you will too, and feel free to take issue with me. But in all this being said, before I jump into it, I invest in metals. I mean, I own gold and silver, platinum and palladium. And I think it's okay. I, I purchase them and they're a, a way to store wealth, to have a savings account that hopefully will not be debased as the dollar or whatever currency in which you live your life is debased. But at the same time, these are defensive strategies. They're not offensive strategies. If you ask a metals investor, even the most staunch gold bug, did your gold go up in value or did the dollar go down in value? And most will say, well, the dollar went down. And so all you're really doing is is treading water, keeping pace, which is, hey, it's a lot better than losing 
but it, it's speculative. It doesn't produce income. There's no financing, no leverage, no tax benefits. In fact, the tax treatment is rather bad because it's taxed as a collectible at 28%. You know, and some other things there. So I, I don't know. Your your thoughts? I mean, I, I, there's another scenario to the gold bug argument, which is the, the sort of economic, the full-on economic collapse, end-of-the-world scenario, where that it may be useful there too. But without talking about the end-of-the-world scenario, just talking about as a, you know, a hedge against inflation, if you will. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I've I reconciled it this way. I went to a, a Casey conference actually here in Phoenix back in uh, 2011, and they had a lot of speakers, and that was what they were talking about was gold. And what percentage of your portfolio do you have in gold? And they would tell us, and many of them would say, I'm not selling my gold. And finally, by the second day, I realized that the audience was not asking the speaker the right question. Because I look at gold and silver and metals uh, in a different vein. The first part is what I learned from Glenn Kirsch, is what they call the core holdings. Now, the core holdings is the metal that you have, that if it all hits the fan, you're going to have to have to fall back on. Regardless of where the price of gold is, it's like a fire extinguisher. You have it. You hope you never have to use it. So that I segregate in my mind what I call the core holdings from investment for profit holdings. And that we have to really, in our mind, determine which is which. Because then if you want to start looking at gold for appreciation, then you can have physical metals if you want, or you can go into some of the more popular exchange-traded funds. Uh, you take uh, companies like Newmont Mining. They're an established company. They're not out looking for gold. They're harvesting gold. They've actually tied their dividend to the price of gold. And I think that gold is a multi-purpose, I say gold, I mean metal is a multi-purpose investment, and we have to segregate in our mind what we're trying to accomplish with it, as opposed to, I'm a gold bug. I, I, I don't, I'm not a gold bug. I use gold and silver for different purposes, and I buy them with that in mind. If gold doubles, I have certain investments I'm going to sell, I'm still going to hold on to my core holdings. Yeah, so so when when you when you look at that, you know what's kind of interesting about that too is the the whole question of supply and limited supply and so forth. And this one's a little far fetched for me to believe that it'll, I know it'll happen someday, but just will it happen this soon? There is a company that is raising money now, and I hear it's doing reasonably well. I can't remember the name of the company to send spacecrafts to asteroids to mine precious metals off of the asteroids. And then, so I hear that. And then I read another article just recently talking about how earthquakes create new gold supply. <laughs> and and then I look at technologies like fracking, for example, which have dramatically increased the supply of the petroleum energy product. And I, I just wonder, nobody really knows what the supply is. And, and the way gold, silver, platinum, palladium, copper, pretty much anything is valued is by the good old economic law of supply and demand. Well, there's a second, there's a second law with that, though, because I'm very familiar with fracking. And one of our best performing uh, picks in our model portfolio uh, happens to have uh, a presence there in the Bakken. The problem that you're relating with is using the concept of fracking to gold is how expensive is it to get out? Right, right. In other words, not only not only do you have your supply demand issue, 
But the fact is, if you've got to fly to an asteroid to harvest it and send it back, gold has to be fifty or $60,000 an ounce before it's economically feasible well, to do it. Well, that, that's why that seems a little far-fetched to me. But they must think that the math is worth it, because maybe it's just laying all over the top of the asteroid, and it doesn't even need to be mined, uh, if you will, the, the way it does on Earth. I don't know. I really don't know much about that. Yeah, my my just suspicion is maybe they're it. better at raising money than they are finding gold. <laughs> well, that may be true. That may be true. And, and you know, another interesting concept here is diamonds. And you look at diamonds as a commodity, which, you know, isn't traded like gold. It's not viewed as money as much. But diamonds are now being made in laboratories. And it, it makes you wonder, gosh, what does that do to the diamond investment market? They're, they're, they're literally the same thing. They're not fake. They're not cubic zirconia. They're real diamonds. It's just that they're made in a laboratory versus mined out of the ground. So, you know, just kind of some interesting thoughts there. Yeah. Have you ever gone back and read about how De Beers tried and for years controlled the diamond market? Well, I, th- I thought they still did. <laughs> well, no, they controlled the law of supply and demand for many, many years, and then they lost control of it. So it actually turned into much of a free market. And, you know, I, Bunker Hunt tried to do it with silver years ago. And, you know, what was the old story? You wrote a book on how to be worth $500 million, and the answer was start with $2 billion. Right, exactly. So, you know, <laughs> if somebody tries to sit there and control the gold market, I, I, I don't know that they have enough money to be able to, to do that. And that was one of the aspects. But you may be right. Someday the supply-demand curve may change. But right now, if we look at history, in the history of man, gold seems to hold its value better than uh, most any asset that I know. Yeah, well, it's certainly got a lot of history behind it. The old saying is that 2,000 years ago, uh, you could buy a, a toga and a pair of sandals with an ounce of gold. And today, you can buy a nice man's suit and a pair of shoes. So, <laughs> but, yeah, but, but again, if, if that suit sure. is made in Bangladesh or China, you can actually buy several suits for that ounce of gold. <laughs> so, you know, it depends. I saw one that was more contemporary, and then I, I lost the darn paper, but it was when a Ford Mustang came out, you could buy a Ford Mustang for so many one-ounce one gold pieces. And ironically enough, 40 years later, it took the same number of gold pieces to buy a Ford Mustang. That's so, so interesting, the, yeah. The, the concept is it holds its value. Yeah, yeah. So, but, okay, so let's agree on that, that it does hold its value, that it's a great measuring stick for inflation and, and the debasement of fiat currencies. But you're still only to the point where you're really treading water, right? I mean, that's not really being an investor, if you will. It's being a saver. And, hey, being a saver is better than not being a saver. And if you can save in something that doesn't lose value, the dollar loses value, we're we're sure of that. I mean, history has yeah. proven that one out. Every fiat currency ultimately loses value. There's there's no exception whatsoever to that one. Well, I think people, I think people make this mistake. Gold will hold its value. But we have picks in our portfolio that are speculated. Now, understand that our peer group is baby boomers and those that have retired, but we're telling them not to put more than 25 to 5% of their portfolio in speculation. Well, you know, if you go into gold, if you go into high tech, if you go into a pharmaceutical company that has just discovered the hottest new uh, pharmaceutical cure for whatever, you have the possibility to double and triple and 10 times your money if you hit the right company. So that when you are looking for the appreciation factor as opposed to savings, gold is one area and one sector to look at. 
But there's a lot of other sectors that we can also look at, you know, the right kind of real estate being one of them, that we are sitting there trying to show our our, uh, investors how to allocate their portfolio so that they can get that uh, appreciation uh, without being overloaded in one sector. In other words, if somebody said to you, I got 2% of my uh, investment portfolio in gold, you wouldn't think anything of it. Uh, It would be more if they put too much of it in speculating in gold for appreciation as as opposed to core holdings, that they would really be at great risk. I I agree. I agree. So you surveyed readers about inflation in your newsletter. What are they thinking? Just a a little more on that. Well, I'll tell you what they're thinking. And it was, uh, I wrote an article that was on my website about it uh, called Reading the Tea Leaves. Let's go back to the, my generation, our paradigm. We sat down and figured out retirement planners. The retirement planner said, figure 6% for uh, appreciation, 2% for inflation. Well, that's now out the window. That, that's hilarious, 2% for inflation. Yeah. <laughs> but that was what, whenever, you know, I filled out my first one years ago when I got a PC junior and had some sort of a program to do it. And it said, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're good till uh, you're going to be 125 years old. And I thought, well, I can make it, you know. And now that led, though, to another rule, the 6%, 2%, was how much can you take out of your IRA to supplement your Social Security and still not be tapping the principal when you're factoring in inflation? Well, the old number was 4%. And that was if you grew 6%, you had 2% inflation, you take out the other 4%, supplement your Social Security, and you're good to go. I did that for the first four or five years of my retirement with no problem. The real message now is if you believe it's 8%, that means you better be earning 12% if you're going to keep your nest egg up with inflation and still throw off that 4% in order to survive. Now tell me that investors are sitting there looking for a set it and forget it investment. Those don't exist. You better be actively, actively managing. That That is a great point, and I, I think you made a great point there, Dennis. I don't think there is any such thing as a passive, a truly passive investment. Not anymore. You know, not anymore. You know, if you if you give your money to some guy at Merrill Lynch or, or Ameriprise or one of these big brokerage firms, first of all, you got to have your head examined, in my opinion. But but second, you need to learn about stuff. You need to stay engaged. You need to be reading all the right papers and and looking at all the right media and and paying attention to things. The world just isn't the the way you can just have a set it and and forget it investment. Every investment needs to be active. I totally agree with you. As a matter of fact, uh, we have a free side and a paid side to our service. And on our paid side, we sat down and did a subscriber survey and said, what do you want us to write about? And they wanted things about income. We've written stuff on reverse mortgages and annuities. And one of the things that they asked us, and we actually did this for an entire monthly issue, was how do you find good professional help to help you manage your portfolio? And, you know, as you said, if you're going to send it there, you're going to have to have your head examined. That was one of the most eye-opening issues we ever had. How do we get good professional help? 
that's going to help us hit our 12 percent or better yeah do you <laughs> i mean that does that exist <laughs> i'm not sure it well, even exists what happened, what happened was we there was an article on motley Fool which really exposed it and the bottom line for your listeners is the difference between what they call a fiduciary relationship and a suitability uh, code of standards and the stockbrokers have suitability there are good people out there that you can have a fiduciary relationship with what we put into our newsletter was what do they look like how do you find them how do you interview them and how do you measure them yeah but here's the problem dennis even if even if your broker is a good person a good ethical person and a competent person they're still investing in assets over which they don't control you can't control the board of directors of the company from skimming all the profits off the top you can't control the the c level executives from giving themselves huge bonuses you know and backdating options all of these things uh, affect the shareholders so it, it, there's just too many layers that's the problem the investments are just out of one's control that's what frustrates me about the way the system is. Well, and you know what? That's exactly, you're expressing the concerns of my entire generation. And therefore, the real key is, as we are learning, how to diversify not only what we classify them as speculative or a little bit more secure, but how to also diversify them across sectors so that you have a shot at getting a good return, but at the same time, you are limiting your risk for just those reasons that you outlined. Yeah, exactly. So, Dennis, what is your outlook for the future? Many, many voices out there are concerned about hyperinflation. There's no academic definition for hyperinflation in terms of what percentage that is. But, you know, and then there's a few people, and there's very few talking about deflation. Not too many people saying that. What are your thoughts? Well, I appreciate your asking. I think I want to temper it first by talking about my background. I was the market that came to Casey Research with the need. And they said, we've got the greatest research company in the world, and I'm inclined to agree with them at this point. We need you to help us understand that market better and connect with them. So I'm not giving this to you from an academic or an economic background. I'm giving it from the experience of a guy who's almost 73 years old and I've been an investor for a long time. I can't sit here and say whether it's going to be inflation or hyperinflation, but I know one thing, 8% is a realistic number. And that even if it's 8, 10, 12%, it's going to wipe out seniors and savers because the government's not going to keep up with it as far as our social security is concerned. And I get asked this question a lot because they say, well, what do you want to do to protect yourself against hyperinflation? And my answer is I can't predict the probability of hyperinflation any more than I can predict the probability of your house burning down. But I know one thing, if either one of those happen, it's a very traumatic financial experience. And just like you have insurance against your house burning down, a prudent investor today better be having some sort of allocation of their portfolio and those kind of investments that are going to help, whether it's inflation or hyperinflation. I can't predict the probability of the event, but the catastrophic consequences are so high, uh, a prudent investor better take that into consideration. I think it's going to be high for a while. I can't say how high. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, if you're saying it's 8% now, I mean, I've been saying it's 9 to 10% now. The reported numbers are 
absurd. The only area where there's really true deflation is in technology. But we did an article that said uh, when the iPad came out, I can't eat my iPad. And and then, you know, I yeah. saw I saw another article with a similar title to that. And I thought, did they copy us? <laughs> or, or were we just thinking alike? But 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 yeah, no, it, it's it's really a scary thing. I mean, this can this is just going to this inflation that is already happening that may get a lot worse. Who knows? Or, you know, and who knows when is going to devastate 250 million people in this country. We'll just say that the other 60 million is positioned better, and it's going to actually benefit them. And one of the things, Dennis, I'd love to get your take on, and it's the last maybe concept we can cover here, is how inflation, of course we know it destroys, it's a pickpocket, it's a thief. It destroys the value of our savings, our stock brokerage accounts, our bonds. Bonds are terrible with inflation. And destroys the value of equity in real estate, because if we have a million dollars equity in a property, and there's inflation, that million dollars is worth less. Now, the real estate may hedge the inflation, hopefully. But the good side of it is that it also, thankfully, destroys the value of debts. And if you look throughout history, and again, this is perverse. It's not the way it should be. But the the debtors actually kind of win in inflationary environments because they pay back the debts in cheaper dollars. And particularly the, the biggest debtor of all being the government, right? Yeah, well, that's their business plan. You know, they're doing it to China. And I got to think that China is going to get pretty upset about this ultimately. I, I mean... You'll, you'll, you'll notice that China and Russia are buying gold with both fists, yep. or whatever that means. Sure. One thing I'd, I'd like to, to deal with that, though, and then I also have a an offer with your permission, I'd like to offer to our listeners. Absolutely. The debtor is going to win in a high inflationary environment. We've got 10,000 baby boomers a day retiring every day for the next 19 years. The majority of the baby boomers now are seniors and savers and not the debtors that they were back when they were buying them at McMansion in their 20s. So that in effect, what you're talking about is a huge, huge transfer of wealth from our largest generation that needs it to survive on. So there's going to be some real social issues there oh, if sure. people don't get with it. And, you know, you're 100% right. And therefore, it's incumbent upon us, back to where we started our interview, to make sure that we're on top of things and looking after it ourselves because nobody's going to do it for us. Yep, no question about it. So you wanted to mention an offer for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, I appreciated the opportunity to visit with you. If if your listeners will go to our website, uh, www.millersmoney.com slash free book, we would like to offer them a couple things. One is if they go on that website, they can get a free e-copy of the book. So they'll get a feel for, it's basically my story of how I went from a passive to an active investor. In addition to that, Every Thursday, we uh, publish an article on all kinds of topics, much of uh, what we've talked about today, and that's free, and that will hit their inbox. And then we also have a paid side, which is very inexpensive, which deals with the model portfolio, shows them how to allocate their investments properly so that they're not too high risk in any one area. Uh, those concerns that you express pretty well for us. So it's www.millersmoney.com slash free book. And uh, they can download a copy of the book and see what we're all about. Sounds good. Hey, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us today. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. 
This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company, all rights reserved. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please visit www.hartmanmedia.com or email media at hartmanmedia.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own, and the host is acting on behalf of Platinum Properties Investor Network, Inc. exclusively.